Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're two days in, and apparently all of you want Tevin Jenkins cut, or you don't think he's going to make the team, or whatever's going to happen. The overreaction has already started. And let me tell you something right now. I look through all the Twitter feeds. I see what you guys are talking about, and everybody's complaining. Like, why don't they? Why don't they stream the whole? Yeah, why don't we? Uh, why don't the whole Bears practice? Why can't we stream that whole thing? You know why we can't? Because you guys overreact far too much. We can't trust you. We cannot trust you with streaming these practices because you're already overreacting to everything, everything. I was listening to the tape Never Lies on Wednesday night, and I know it wasn't Draft Dr. Phil, it was his guest. It's like, Tevin Jenkins might not make this team. Tevin Jenkins is making the team, okay? You, we don't need to bounce him to guard or anything like that. He's a second-year player, okay? He's, he's not going anywhere. He's going to be a part of this team. He might not start. He doesn't look great right now, but still, at the same time, you all are overreacting. We can't be trusted. Like even today, and Keel Harry had a ball bounce off his hands, go into Eddie Jackson's grasp, and now oh, there's the hater. Yeah, I told it. We gave up a seventh rounder for this guy. He's no good. What I, I saw him and knew. No, listen, it's one play in one practice. Last year, everybody was ready to give up on Jamar Chase because they thought he couldn't catch the football. We're two days into practice. Let's everybody calm down. Let's everybody relax. Let's have, let's, let's, but listen, your overreaction to everything is the reason why we can't stream practices. But you know what we can do? We can start the show right now. So, Sammy, let's go ahead and do that. Turn up your volume because you're about to listen to the Sick Podcast with Adam Ray. Trying to cut it back. Justin Fields making magic happen. The Sickest Chicago Bears and Fantasy Football Podcast. Sports entertainment like no other. It's going to be sick. Welcome to the Sick Podcast. It's me, Adam Rank, and we've got a great show for you today. Joining us uh, in just a matter of moments, ESPN 1000's Courtney Cronin will be with us to talk about her early impression of Bears camp, and we'll go over some of the battles on the offensive line in the defensive secondary and all sorts of things that's going on. We'll get her impressions, but wanted to remind everybody that you can listen to the sick podcast on AM 1530 WCKG Chicago, the second city home of the sick podcast. You can listen to us at 2 PM central time on AM 1530 WCKG. And right after that show, Olin Krutz, Jason McKee, come on the no name pod a great two hours of Bears talk, probably the best you'll find anywhere in the entire city. Lee, the nation. 
So uh, make sure you're checking that out. By the way, I also want to tell you this. Oh, this is exciting stuff. Now, Sammy is always telling me about these great shows in Canada, but I can't watch in the United States because of the U.S. Netflix. So I decided to get NordVPN to access all these shows in Canada. Using NordVPN and the click of the button, I can do just that. No need to travel to an igloo, to Canada, because when you have NordVPN bringing it right to you, you have more than 5,000 server options. No show is out of reach. So make sure you're checking out NordVPN. It has been a lifesaver for me, especially as I'm sitting here, I'm traveling around the road. Uh, I will be in Cincinnati on Saturday for the NFL Network, part of our Back to Football Saturday. Next week, I will be at Bears Camp. To take to give you firsthand knowledge of what's going on. Although we do a great we, the Bears media does a great job. There are so many great people out there covering the team each and every day. We cannot thank them enough. They do a great job. And one of those people uh, is one of the newest members of Bears media. Now she was with, she was covering the Vikings for a while, but that's okay because she's one of the best in the business, and we're very excited to have her on from ESPN 1000. Can we please welcome our guest, Courtney Cronin? Courtney, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thank you. I, I really appreciate you being here. Welcome to the Chicago Bears media. How, how has it been treating you so far? It's been great. Like I, I think I've been here about five months. I started mm -hmm. the day, like day one of the combine. I finished up covering five seasons of the Vikings on a Friday. And then by Monday I was on a new team. So it's, it was a great time to start because at the Combine, you're gearing up for free agency, trying to figure out what direction this team is going to go with the roster. And as we saw very quickly, um, they went into teardown mode of, you know, moving on from the previous regime, having to kind of course correct some of the things that the last group did uh, by letting go of 20 plus players during free agency. And obviously the Khalil Mack trade was kind of what kicked everything off. But, you know, in the months after that, you start to see the direction this team's now headed in and how, just how deliberate they're being with everything and keeping yeah. the message pretty consistent throughout, you know, OTAs and then into mandatory mini camp and now headed into training camp. Like it's a, it's been a long process uh, so far, but I think it's been really good. And it's for me personally, it's been very rewarding getting to, you know, be back home and, and covering the bears. So it's been great. Yeah. It's one of those things. It's almost off-putting because every time Ryan Pace says something, and, excuse me, Ryan Poles. So I'll get that. I'll get that eventually. <laughs> Every time Ryan Poles talks and he says, you know, this is what we're doing. We're not, we're not going to trade up into the first round. We're not going to do this. We're going to be very deliberate. We're not going to go out and spend a lot of money. And then he does it. It's almost off-putting because he's too <laughs> honest. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And it's, it's, I think it's uh, probably refreshing for people because usually, yeah. you know, GMs, front office coaches, they're not going to, you know, peel back the curtain on what their plan is, but polls and Eberflus as a collective have been really consistent in remaining patient and not getting tempted by any sort of moves that they could make. And certainly some, you know, I, I think that the, if you take the temperature of the fan base, there, there are people who are not thrilled with the way that Chicago approached free agency and right. that they didn't go after some of the bigger names that were available at the wide receiver position as free agents. And those who, you know, clearly wanted out of their, their current spot. I mean, we saw a lot of trades happen at like an unprecedented rate this year. And yeah. I remember asking Ryan Poles about that ahead of the draft. And he said, yeah, like, of course you see it. And it's hard not to be tempted by that. But when you have been given uh, the flexibility that this regime has been given now to do things a different way and have to, you have to undo a lot of the, 
won't call it mistakes, but just a lot of the stuff from the previous regime that takes time. So taking any shortcuts to, to get the success that you desire is just like not the right strategy. So the ownership group and obviously, you know, the, the coaching staff in front office, they're all being patient right now, but we'll see kind of like, you can be patient in, in July. You can be patient yeah. in April. Um, you can be patient in January when you make these moves, but we'll see how long that lasts uh, depending upon how, how the season goes for this team. Well, don't you think that it, it does make a lot of sense? Because if you look at a timetable, the one, the one team that I always kind of look at is the bears could possibly be mirroring is what Philadelphia did last season, where they're kind of there with a second year quarterback. You know, it's not, you know, Last year wasn't a, there wasn't an opportunity for them last year to trade for a player like AJ Brown. And mm-hmm. I know I, I don't know if you you have to deal with this, but I have the relatives that called like, hey, why why aren't we trading for Tyree Kill? You're like, uh, we don't have a first round pick. That's why that's why the Bears aren't making that deal. But at the same time, I feel like you know you see what the Eagles were able to do, and then eventually you know add some pieces. Do you think that that's probably the long term plan for somebody like Ryan Poles? Yeah, I think it has to be. And it's interesting you brought up Philadelphia because there are a lot of there's a lot of optimism, at least from some fans, that this team could be Cincinnati this year, seeing yeah. where Cincinnati was Joe Burrow's first year to where they were last year um, with the team going to the Super Bowl. Like, I, I think those having realistic expectations, um, even polls talked about it the other day, because like right now, every team around the NFL thinks it can win the Super Bowl. I promise you talk to anybody yeah. in any scouting staff, coaching staff, whatever, like right now in July, everyone's great, but polls had, you know, the expectations, you know, laid forth for us at during his pre-training camp availability that, yeah, of course you want to shoot for the stars, but you're realistic. You got to take it down a notch from that. And it's, you know, the goal for this team should just be trying to get to the postseason. Um, mm. and, and certainly this year, it feels like it would be an uphill battle for them to get there, but like making that make the wild card, your goal, yeah. like, you know, Put, put building blocks in place to get there and not, you know, unattainable expectations. So, you know, as far as the Philly comparison goes, I mean, what we saw with Jalen Hurts last year, I mean, he was most productive at a time like when like about week seven, when they when things yeah. really started to change for Philadelphia was when they started to commit to the run and they were able to have a little bit more of a balanced attack offensively. And I think that the offense that Justin Fields is in this year with Luke Getze coming in and installing a scheme that's not going to be requiring him to drop back 45 to 50 times a game. You have a good run game that you can rely on. David Montgomery is, you know, trying to get his next big contract. He's going to be motivated to have a really good season this year. And that only benefits your quarterback having a scheme. That's not going to rely on him to do more than he's capable of doing or like having to go into superhero mode because the pass protection might not be completely adequate all the time. And, you know, you change the quarterback's launch points, you throw in a heavy dose of bootlegs, play action, all of that stuff it's kind of it's like akin to what I covered in Minnesota with Kirk Cousins, where the the rhetoric around him the last couple of years was okay. How can they get the most out of him? And and it's interesting because Getzey today said, you know, this scheme isn't meant to make anybody better than they are. I think sometimes we get in the mindset of okay, new offense, new play caller, you know, new ideas, new philosophies. It's going to take this player from point A to point M in a matter of a season, and it's truly. I just, I truly don't think that it's that easy. And there's so few yeah. scheme transcendent quarterbacks that like there's, you know, 
a handful, Aaron Rodgers, Russell, Russell Wilson, and, and Tom Brady are like the, and maybe even putting like a Joe Burrow in that mix. Those are like the four that I can say are like true transcend the scheme can, can go anywhere and be perfect. But for Justin Fields, I don't know if it's going to make, you know, it will, it, the scheme will, uh, if it works out, will lend itself to being like a Philly where that scheme got the most out of Jalen Hurts last year while being able to mitigate some of his weaknesses you'd like to think if this thing works out the way that it should, that would be the same case for someone like Justin Fields in year two. Yeah, that's what I, I think that that's the key right there is I, I think that most Bears fans, considering myself to be one of the most optimistic in the world, I think the Philly example is more realistic than the Cincinnati one, even though, you know, the NFC is a little bit down. I still think that, you know, if the bears go to the playoffs, end up getting smoked by the Buccaneers or the Rams or whomever, like that's fine. As long as our quarterback looks like he's good. As long as there's some semblance of a cohesion, like a cohesive offensive identity, sure. I think would be, it would be a huge thing. What have been your in, in initial impressions? I know that obviously covering the Vikings, you did get to see Justin Fields a little bit last season, but what have your impressions of him been like, so far this off season through the second day of training camp. Yeah, it's um, I think it's been up and down, um, which is kind of the blanket answer for he's had good days and he's had bad days. Like fortunately for him, it's at least the times that we've been out there and from what we've heard from the coaching staff, because the only time we got to see like a stretch of multiple days in a row is during mini camp. And, you know, he's had practices that have not been great. And the next day, at least, it's not like he's doubling down and, and following up with another bad practice. Like we've seen the bounce back ability. We've seen it. I remember even like the last practice of minicamp, he had a great series um, in the red zone with the tight, you know, connecting with the tight end group. And then, you know, through, through a pick um, during situational drill to end minicamp. So like there's good, you have to take the good at the bad and realize that you're throwing a lot at a quarterback who, you know, is still trying to adjust to learning this team, but also leading and and being and executing the way that he didn't really know how to, or probably wasn't really afforded the ability to kind of like let it loose as a rookie. Remember, like he didn't start until yeah. a couple weeks into the season. Like he wasn't the guy, he wasn't the starter. He was behind Andy Dalton and Nick Foles for this weird pseudo quarterback competition last year. And, I, and, and no matter what you think of like, okay, well, he knew he was going to be the future of this franchise. It's still a monkey on your back that yeah. is difficult. You're not going to walk in here for, you know, quarterback that just, that won a Super Bowl a couple of years ago. And, and Andy Dalton, who's a, you know, decade long veteran and, and, you know, try to like grab hold of the offense at that point. So I think now that that that's all gone, that's a, that was a distraction. I think that since that's gone, he can be confident that, okay, this is my team. I know the direction that I want to lead the team in, in, in just the, the setting the example for what everyone else has to follow. He can now do that in ways that he wasn't able to last year. So how does that translate to the field? it translates to this offense being a work in progress and expect not expecting it to be a perfect polished finished product at this point of camp. Like Justin Fields, a second year quarterback, he hasn't been in that many schemes, uh, it, you know, relatively speaking throughout his career. So learning the ins and outs of this offense for him, it all starts with him. It takes time. So, you know, if you ask me a couple of weeks from now that you hope if you are a bears fan that the answer is, yeah, it looks like a well-oiled machine. It looks like things are clicking. Right. Um, you can see like little bits and pieces of that already starting to take place, but certainly not like a finished product. Like today uh, during seven on seven, it's like, 
towards the end of practice, he connected like uh, uh, with Cole Komet, like it was like a 30 yard, um, 30 yard pass. Like it was a Komet ran a seam route and he like caught this ball between two defensive backs. And we asked him about, it. he said, yeah, like that's some, that's that we end every one of our private workout sessions. Cause they've done several together throughout the off season with that play. And so the anticipation and the timing of that, paid off today because they had done it so much in, in over the off season and in the past. So I think that that's a really good sign that that chemistry for a quarterback who outside of Kamen and Mooney has a ton of new faces, new weapons, you know, he has to build that connection with those guys. Like it's nice for him that he already has at least two things that are established and that he'll be able to lean on those guys in, in Mooney and Kamet and then kind of hope that everybody else he can get on the same page with everybody else in the, in the future beyond that throughout camp. Yeah, that's what we're hoping for. And I think a lot of people are optimistic about Cole Komet. Again, I talked about it at the beginning of the show, the overreaction that bears fans have and everybody, every time now from now and probably pretty much through eternity, uh, every, every white tight end we draft will be the next George Kittle. Cause we missed out on that one. Obviously today, July 28th, when we're recording, when this show is coming out, uh, the 11th year anniversary of trading Greg Olson, which was probably the worst trade in Bears history. Um, no need to bring any of that stuff up. But let me ask you, now you were covering the Minnesota Vikings. How much did you, I, I know that you pay attention, like, you know, because you, you know what's going on around the league. I mean, it's impossible not to. What were your impressions of the Bears last season when all this stuff was going on? And do you feel like it's, improved drastically now with Matt Eberflus in charge? I think if you were to ask me at this time last year, it was, what are they doing with this quarterback competition? And it was kind of almost like trying to, well, we already, we made this trade two years ago for Nick Foles. We've got to make it work somehow. Um, Bill Lazor was Andy Dalton's offensive coordinator. Got to make that work somehow. And, oh, we'll just wait until Fields is ready. I think if you look at it from like a realistic standpoint, you realize that Fields was brought into a situation that was just like not good from the very start. He wasn't set up for success last year. It was an eight, you know, a team that had been carried by its defense. That was the group in 2018 that was so impactful. And then you started to see the wheels fall off of that unit injuries, attrition, age, things like that. But then on the other side of it, you know, with Allen Robinson and Matt Nagy and, you know, kind of the, the rift between player and the franchise, you felt like that was a missed opportunity because now like I'm hearing from my friends who cover the Rams, like the staff is like out of like this world about Allen Robinson yeah. and potential. And my goodness, like this is what we think he can do in this offense with Matthew Stafford, Cooper cup, um, you know, Van Jefferson, all those guys. And it's like, it feels now when you look back in hindsight, but also like at the time being that they really missed an opportunity oh, yeah. with Adam Robinson. And I just wonder like what that would have looked like had there not been kind of the alienation of, of your top receiver and what it would be like for Justin Fields if he had Robinson still here. And I'm not saying anything about, you know, I think Mooney's an incredible talent and I'm, and I'm, I'm looking forward to see like what he can do. Can he follow up on his thousand yard season last year? Um, just felt like there were a lot of missteps along the way and that the staff felt last year at this time, because I, I know that they were all kind of on borrowed time in 2021 when a lot of people did think, yeah, in spite of making the playoffs, because the Vikings ended up, you know, in 2020, you know, 
Chicago backed its way in because Minnesota yeah. was the one was the team that ended up screwing themselves in the process. Um, you know, I think a lot of people thought that like the staff was maybe out after last year. So it was kind of like last year was the bonus or after 2020. So 2021 was the bonus year. Um, and it felt like there were a lot of Hail Marys thrown in there at the end, obviously drafting Justin Jefferson, excuse me, drafting, <laughs> drafting Justin if Fields only. was one of those. Um, but it's a move that could set this franchise up for long-term success to solve the one position they've never been able to solve for the last 70 years and finding a franchise quarterback. So, yeah, I mean, like you looked around the NFC North and it felt like it was the Packers, the Vikings, and then a huge drop off between like the Bears and the Lions. And now I still think it's Green Bay, considerable gap between Green mm -hmm. Bay and Minnesota. Maybe Minnesota surprises people this year. I mean, I, I have opinions kind of on what I think uh, the limitations are within that offense in spite of having a new offensive mind and a direction with Kevin O'Connell, but you still have a quarterback who has proven who he is year and year again. Mm -hmm. So we'll see about that. But now it feels like Detroit is that next team. Um, oh, you know, and I know it's like, that's a weird thing to say. I'm not saying that that's like a 10 win team, but it might be a six win team, which for them is m more than just marginal improvement considering where they were a year ago. Um, and then the bears are still very much in the, the infancy stages of what they're trying to build here. So time is probably on their side in terms of I think everyone around the league realizes where the expectations are for this team. So if they overachieve this year, it's gravy because I don't know if many people are expecting them to be a team that is in that overachieving category. Yeah. A lot of people, you know, are expecting every time you see a, a informal Twitter poll, like who are the three worst teams in the NFL? Obviously people are going to put the Chicago bears in there for whatever reason. And I homers like myself take offense and that's fine. Um, I, I think everything, like you said earlier, like every team, like I was talking to a friend of mine, who's a jets fan who was trying to explain to me like, yeah, this is why we're going to the playoffs. And you're like, okay, I go, this is my, this, uh, this must be how crazy I sound to other people, but there are, you know, there are some, you know, uh, issues that the bears have to work through. I think number one is, is uh, one that they addressed over the last couple of days. Now they brought in Michael Schofield. They brought in Riley Reef. Mm -hmm. Did those moves surprise you? And what were your overall impressions of the way that the offensive line is starting to shape up? They, de they definitely didn't surprise me because I think that you just look at um, where the offensive line was. And even Matt Eberflus on Tuesday this week had said, yeah, like we're, we feel a lot better about the offensive line than we did 24 hours ago. You know, Braxton Jones might be a terrific left tackle one day. He's a fifth round pick and he's a rookie right now. I just think you can use this year to do whatever you want. You can't get your quarterback killed. That's a you, 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 you had your chance. You had your chance last year. You basically got your mulligan last year of like yeah. putting Justin Fields in a terrible situation. If you do it in year two, you kill that kid's confidence and you set yourself up to have wasted this 11th overall draft pick. And, and the reason you didn't have first round draft pick this year. So logic in thinking, you know, Ryan Poles is an offensive lineman, a former offensive lineman himself, shore up your pass protection. Riley reef was just sitting out there uh, as a street free agent and he's got more than ample experience playing the position. Like I covered him for four years in Minnesota and he was the left tackle the entire time, whether uh, you know, from 17 to 2000 through the 2020 season. And then, you know, there was stuff about like not being like, not wanting to take a pay cut. Like he was a salary cap casualty. It wasn't that he was cut because he was like not good into he's right. an above average left tackle. 
here, like an above average left tackle can probably do you wonders as you're trying to figure out what this unit looks like. So I thought it was a great move for them. Um, it was a low cost, like, you know, kind of like low risk, high reward thing that you bring somebody in who's 33 years old has, you know, 140 plus career starts like that. There's nothing wrong with that. Like it's, it's a no brainer. Um, and then with Michael Schofield, you know, I know that, um, we haven't had a chance to like, I mean, it's, it's two days in like these guys right. just got signed this week. We in, in, in Schofield hasn't done any, at least not to, that I've seen that hasn't done any of like the team stuff yet. I imagine when pads come on, he will probably uh, get reps at, at, at over Sam Mustaver or right guard, but it just, it just makes sense because there are so many question marks on this offensive line. And you can tell just by the way things have panned out um, throughout the off season, how this regime feels about, the two offensive tackles that were drafted in 2021 in Tevin Jenkins and Larry Borum, just how they fit into this. Like Borum's taking all the reps at right tackle right now with the first team unit. Tevin mm-hmm. Jenkins might be a swing tackle. So it's clear that they had a lot of work to do on a position that is so vastly important and critical to the success of, you know, your quarterback that they, they couldn't wait any longer because you want to get these guys in, you want to get them in the system and you want to like have that. You want to, I mean, Matt Eberflus said, yeah, there's no deadline on trying to figure out your starting five, but the sooner, the better, the better. And that's common sense because it'd be nice for Justin Fields to know what the pass protection looks like and to be confident in it too. Yeah, that's a huge thing. And I think that last year with Riley, they asked him to switch positions. The Bengals put him at right tackle. And I remember and I wrote this, I write a state of the franchise feature uh, where I spotlight all 32 teams for NFL.com. Last season, I said that their MVP, you know, probably more so than anybody else is Riley Reef coming in. And if he's going to be able to make that transition to right tackle, played pretty well. He allowed four sacks. He had one holding penalty or he had one penalty the whole time, which I thought was significant. Somebody who's switching spots. And when you look at the Super Bowl, when you look at their playoff run, I thought his absence in the Super Bowl, obviously he was nursing the ankle injury. I thought that was huge. I thought that that was that that was critical to the Bengals. So I love him coming in and I love him taking over. And I don't think it's a detriment to anybody. Like we got young guys. Like we we're not we just as you said, you put it eloquently. We just we just don't want Justin to get killed. Unlike that Cleveland game uh, of last year. Do you remember? I mean. Again. I do. I remember the Monday afterwards because the I think that was week three for Chicago and the Vikings were playing them either week four or week five. And I remember going into um, availability for the week and just being like, wow, nine sacks, like asking like some of the offensive players in Minnesota, like, what do you think about that? This is a team you're about to yeah. go up against. And certainly that was the worst situation to throw a rookie quarterback into. And I think we've heard kind of in, in the months and really the year coming out since then, obviously fields wasn't happy with what the game plan was that day. And it let him, it, you know, left him very susceptible to injury and and just, you know, just the the worst situation you could have put him in Um, going against that defensive front and with the offensive line that you did. But, but yeah, I mean, I think the rhetoric around the NFL like league wide was what in the world that is an uphill battle for Justin Fields. If I've ever seen one and and what he was going to have to face last season after watching that game. Yeah. It was pretty disgusting as a, (laughs) as just being like, what is happening? Like what did I do not till this day? I I feel like that, that deserves its own 30 for 30 or whatever. (laughs) I want to know about that game. Cause we saw enough out of Justin Fields. Like you saw that as you were talking about, you're talking about the flashes 
explain. Let me ask you a question though, because you you've covered obviously Kirk Cousins for years, and you talk about Justin Fields. There's good plays and bad plays. When you see a, a veteran like Kirk Cousins, and we know who he is, what are his practices like? Does he ever make mistakes? I, I I just trying to grasp like what is like a guy like Kirk Cousins? Does he make? He doesn't strike me as a guy like he's just you know very automatic. Is he? Does he ever make mistakes in practice, or is there anything like that? What are what's a practice like with Kirk Cousins? Yeah, I mean, you know, going back to the time that I was there, um, you know, defense dictated what they were doing in practice because Mike Zimmer was a defensive coach. Like, did Kirk make mistakes in practice? Yeah. That first year, I remember in 2018, I kind of knew that it wasn't the marriage wasn't going to work out right away that season because there was a they were back. There was a series in the red zone during OT, like one of the final OTAs or minicamp practices. And I remember he's had like an awful practice, like Mm -hmm. back to back turnovers in the red zone. And I remember seeing coaches on the offensive staff kind of like, mm, like just like (laughs) gritting their teeth and like really not happy with the way that turned out. And maybe even feeling like it was foreshadowing what was going to happen that season, because, you know, the offense he was in his, his first year in Minnesota, asked, asked more than what he was capable of doing. So then, Mm -hmm. you know, Mike Zimmer is very adamant. He wants to run the ball and, and, you know, that, that worked to a degree. Um, and he brought in, you know, I mean, Kevin Stefanski took over that position. Clearly that paid off for him and getting a head coaching job. Gary Kubiak was in that position. Um, but then Gary retires and like they, they turn it over to Clint Kubiak last year. And I just feel like I'm not going to say that Kirk was put in a bad spot. Um, but you know, in practices, that defense gave him work and, and that's a good thing, but I also just yeah. don't know if he was, you know, empowered in the sense that he felt like he could take the risks. Like I know that last year, that was something that Mike Zimmer, like when they had their meetings once a week, which again was kind of a new development, maybe a little bit too, too little too late. Um, you know, it was kind of telling him like, let it rip, like, yeah. you know, figure, you know, go be aggressive be an aggressive leader, be an aggressive player on the field. But like all these years before that, Kirk was kind of told, don't do that. Don't turn the ball over. Don't take risks. So it was kind of like, you know, what, what should I believe? Which, and, and you saw it in that Chargers game week 10 last year where yeah. they came back and won after it looked like same story, different game. This team builds a lead and then it's going and then, and then the defense is going to blow it at the end of the game because they let the team back in in the offense that either doesn't have enough time or whatever the situation is, it just doesn't, it, it panned out to be an eight and nine season. So I, I, I think all of that starts in practice and, you know, Kirk's a methodical guy. He's very, mm-hmm. you know, he's very on his P's and Q's about stuff, but in terms of like the risk factor, and I feel like being like emboldened to do more and take on more of that own within the office, not just like I'm doing what I'm being told. I'm going, going where my reads take me was always like, that's like one of my favorite Kirk cousins. <laughs> um, I'm curious to see how that changes this year for him, knowing that he's got someone who was with him in Washington, I believe it was 2017. Yeah. His final year is when Kevin O'Connell was in his headset and seeing how being in a in an offense and work and being on a team that has an offensive mindset versus, you know, where they were the last eight seasons with Mike Zimmer, maybe that'll be to the benefit of Kirk Cousins at 34 years old. Yeah, I'm curious how that works out, partly for fantasy, for selfish fantasy reasons, but also, you know, and I also... A great fantasy quarterback. I uh, love him. Terrific I mean, fantasy quarterback. That's the thing, like, I think he had 35 touchdowns last year, single-digit interceptions, but I I guess my whole thing was, like, these core, even veterans, like, have bad practices. I think that 
it's important for people to know like, Hey, if, if Justin misses some throws, like he's a second year guy, like even the, even the pros pros. And I know that I tease Kirk cousins a lot and it's all in good fun. I, I think he's probably a nice guy. I have nothing against, he's a good quarterback. I draft him. And that it's funny you brought up the charger game. Cause I had him and Justin Herbert in a two quarterback league. So I remember that game specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just important to know, like these guys go through growing pains. So there's a lot of good things moving on and a lot of positive developments with the team that, you know, I was ready. I was ready to be bummed out to start training camp, but we saw Robert Quinn show up. We saw Roquan Smith show up, although he's not practicing. What is up with the, what, what's up with the hold-ins now? And is there any chance that, you know, this is going to linger for a long time in training camp? Yeah. So like the hold in is a new, it's a new thing. Like usually what we remember pre 2020 before the new CBA went through was guys who are on the final year of their rookie deal. If they couldn't come to an agreement, they skip camp and then they show up at the 11th hour when the contract gets agreed to. I mean, you'll remember in 2019, Ezekiel Elliott had a great month long stay in Cabo while they ended up making him, you know, I think it was the highest paid running back at the time. Uh, really like right on the heels of training camp being over and it are really preseason being over and the season starting. So because the seat, like that was one thing it had nothing to do with COVID the owners wanted to get rid of that part of it. Um, and yeah. they wanted to really like press, like press players to, to be at camp and that these fines won't just get like magically wiped away. Um, if a new deal is agreed upon. So for rookies, it's 40 people on rookie deals. It's $40,000 a day. And mm-hmm. veterans uh, who would be holding, who would not show up to camp. Like that's why Aaron Rodgers. like, don't kid yourself. They're like, he, he, he probably, if this was different, he probably wouldn't have shown up until like week one last year and just, you know, did what he had to do against, I think they played Jacksonville or something. Yeah. The Saints. Um, yeah. Like, he, Wait, they got just yeah they got smoked in that game right yes and yeah. um they it was in, it was in Jacksonville yes, that's right it was no, in Jacksonville because the Saints had the it was the hurricane and all that so like they you know v- veterans get fined fifty thousand dollars a day those fines don't just like magically go away anymore they the way they used to so players will come to practice they'll show up but most times they won't do anything like last year or two years ago I was I covered Dalvin Cook when he had his hold in and yeah that was mm-hmm. a truncated preseason because it was COVID year I think we had about like three and a half weeks before yeah the season started it was crazy like how quickly that thing went oh my on. god that's right yeah he was there he showed up every day like he'd go through stretching he would work off to the side with the trainer but he never went through like contact or anything like that gets his deal like the Saturday afternoon before the green Bay game in week one last year, TJ Watt did the same thing Four years, $112 million. Eventually at BC was there. He worked with the trainer to the side, didn't do anything, but still got his deal. Now with Roquan, it's interesting because they put him on the pup list to start training camp. And so of course, in your mind, you're thinking, does he have an injury? Cause this right. guy played during like the, he practiced during the off season program. he, you know, was, was part of mandatory minicamp. He showed up and in all off season long, it was okay. He believes he's going to get a new deal. He told us in April during the voluntary minicamp, like everything should work out the way that he anticipates it would. Ryan Poles said it at owners meetings that he'd like to get a deal done before the start of the season. This is obviously a trickier situation because the player represents himself, at least as far as our, to to our knowledge, like Ryan Poles wouldn't come out and directly say that. But the last time Roquan was asked about this and I asked him about it in April, he didn't bite on it. It's I was asking kind of about the challenges of doing it. As far as we know, like he said last August about representing himself. um, As far as we know, he still does. So 
it's tricky in what we're seeing Baltimore have to negotiate right now very gently with Lamar Jackson. Oh, yeah. when, when you're negotiating with the player himself, you don't want to alienate that player by trying to like do anything that would like make them question their value and how the team actually sees them. That's why you have agents. That's why, you know, the agents yeah. are the ones who are getting in the, in, in the weeds and getting in the, the nitty gritty with the team of like, no, we don't, this is where we think the client, your client's value. And the, and the agent's like, no, my client's valued up here. Um, and then the agent pushes for that. When you have a player doing all those negotiations, it's tricky because like if you if you you run the risk of really messing up that relationship and having them not want to be there anyways. But, you know, we as far as we know right now, Roquan Smith is on the pup list. As far as we know, he does have an injury. That's what Matt Eberflus said. He's like, Yeah, of course he has an injury. He's on the pup list. <laughs> um, I don't I've never <laughs> once seen this used as a loophole. It certainly wouldn't yeah. be a legitimate one because if you are on the I mean, the physically unable to perform list is an act, it's an, it says slash active. So you don't get a roster spot for it. Yeah. Could it be the team trying to do him a solid and being like, well, we really don't want to find him during this. Like, we'll we'll put him on the pup list. Sure. If the league says, let us see the scans and let us oh, see geez. like a, a legitimate injury, like they better be able to prove something. But you know, we see, we've, we've seen him out of practice the last two days. He's still involved in meetings. Um, he's here. He's just not doing anything on the field. So would it surprise me if that in like two to three weeks something gets done and he has he has a contract? Sure. Like, I mean, this team has the space to get some they have cap space right now. They've got money to I mean next yeah. year, especially. Like they can structure something to make him one of the highest paid linebackers if they want to. We'll just see how it just feels like right now this two sides are not close. So we'll see how far they get into that. But it, it was just very bizarre yesterday, like an already strange saga because I've never covered another player who who's represented himself. Like another, it, it's just taking another turn that it, it's just interesting when we know, and you know, Ryan Poles addressed this right away, uh, right ahead of training camp, like about the contract situation. He's obviously not going into specifics on it, but making sure that the player knows what he means to the team. Like, so very clearly the elephant in the room is the contract situation in the extension. And then all of a sudden he shows up on the pup list. Like that's just very bizarre. Uh, the, the turn of events that have happened the last couple of days with him. Yeah. It's been wild because he was also a part of the alternate Jersey reveal. Like he's the one yeah. holding the orange helmet. And you're like, well, you're not going to do that with a guy who you don't, Exactly. Think is going to factor in here, and the player. Like, why would you do? Like, no, dude, I'm holding out. Like, I, he knows that he was not. He doesn't have the contract that he wants. Being his own agent, like, it's a, it's a very interesting situation. I also, when you're talking about like players with the the injuries and asking for scans and things like that, the Bears better not be asked about any of that because I remember the whole Jalen Ramsey thing, where Jalen Ramsey had a back injury. And then all and of a sudden he was fine when he got he traded out of Jacksonville. Yeah, he was great and ready to go when he got to L.A. It's amazing and, how like a change of scenery could just make you miraculously healthy again. Like nobody like it was like watching professional wrestling, which kind of lent itself since Tony <laughs> Khan owns AEW. Like Jalen Ramsey's selling a back injury. They're like, no, nah, I'm fine. Like the second he landed in L.A., like that was the one where I'm like, you guys, like at least and and the L.A. media. Uh, unless you're the Angels, you don't get grilled by the LA media. So nobody, nobody followed up. Nobody's like, "Hey, how's your back?" Like somebody, like, I was just waiting. Like somebody ask him about his back, just make him laugh about it or do something, but nothing. So hopefully with Roquan, it's a it's a similar type situation. Where it's like, oh, he he drank the magic water. Yeah, and then all we'll, of a sudden, we'll definitely when he, you know, if and when he gets that contract extension, the question's going to come up. 
like, hey, you practice the entire offseason because logically you think, okay, like unless something happened and he was playing, I don't know why the hell you'd play through an injury during like preseason stuff. You wouldn't. That's that's logic. But like unless something happened in the final series of minicamp and it's like, oh, he didn't heal from it. That's you'd be put on NFI because it would be training. It would be either you're training away from the facility or something else happens. Um, That's. That's what that list is for. Something happens away from training with the team for football. Um, and people get in debates about that all the time. But yeah, it's just, it, it's, he's going to get asked about. So what were you on? Like, you know, what happened? Did you, like, what happened? So I, I yeah, that's going to be an interesting one. I think Jalen had it right though. Just say you're back. Nobody ever, nobody ever questions a back injury. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, they're football players. Like it's, yeah, day. it's normal. And it's also, uh, you probably noticed this a lot too, is that, you know, obviously everybody's in the best shape of their life. But now it's the, I had a secret injury last year. Like, oh, you I did. I played through this, yeah. I played through it. Like, oh, I was growing a third arm out of my back. You guys didn't know. But then I had it surgery. Like, what? What happened? Like, this is, where did this come from? And now it's like the new rage of like, yeah, secret injury last year. Uh, or maybe not so secret uh, when it comes to Roquan Smith. But talking about the defense, though, we did, they did avoid Jaquan Brisker holding out. So I thought that was a huge win. I thought that was amazing i was you know being on the west coast i saw that come through the other night i'm like yes i'm like okay cool there's one last thing that you have to worry about but one of the things that i've noticed in my limited interaction with practice so far is that it feels like Eberflus is really putting it on the defense and he is not messing around like i heard an anecdote about thursday's practice where they're like nope we're running this again do you get and again i know you weren't there covering the team last year, but do you get a sense that like this, this there's a new tenor with the, uh, with the defensive side of the football, at least everybody we've talked to. It's interesting. Cause like, you know, Eberflus came in and says he wants to, you know, set the standard and all of that. And the players you talk to are like, well, what's changed and you know, attention to detail is like the one phrase that's constantly thrown out. And it makes you think, okay, well, were they just like given a pass on everything last year? And Maybe they were, maybe it's just, maybe they mean something else by that. But, you know, you can tell along the way that it's clear that Eberflus is, I want to, I don't know if I want to say overcorrecting, but like trying to do something that's a 180 in his mind and maybe in the mind of, of the players, 180 of what they were asked to do last year. Now, you go from an offensive coach to a defensive coach, the, the standard and the philosophy is going to be completely different. So, you know, he said yesterday, like, he's like, you know, you think back to like OTAs when they got one of their OTAs taken away because they were being too, they were deemed too physical. There was an NFLPA rep that was out here doing the rounds and just happened to notice like, okay, maybe they're wasn't like full on hmm. tackling in my understanding. It's yeah. just like you guys are going to the ground too much. I like, get that's why I always say like, stay up, stay up. Like you're not supposed to do that stuff during the off season. And, you know, I feel like there's it's the proving ground aspect of and, and really truly the notion that we're gonna do things differently now that change like kind of leads is the catalyst behind maybe more aggressive practices and 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 more intense practices. Like, you know, we talked to Cole Komet today and he had mentioned that, you know, you're tired after practice. And this was like an 85 minute practice today. It was a shorter mm-hmm. one because they're in the ramp up period. And, you know, the defense may be the focal point of that hits principles, the, yeah. the you know, from Matt Eberfuss carried over from Indy to here, but the offense feels it too. And today Luke Getze had mentioned that, you know, he wasn't 
happy with the execution. There were, you know, there's a series where there were like two false starts. And he's like, no, we're going to run it again. Like, because you don't want to like leave on a sour note of that. So I think that the way that that's carried over for like this team is that they're trying to incorporate like a different purpose into why they're practicing the way they are, because, you know, they don't, there's a fine line between being like going like all in during training camp and injuring yourself and, in you know, trying to save yourself, save your legs for, for the regular season. And there's ways to do that. You can rutate guys in, you can get guys reps, but you know, Eberflus had said, you know, we can't, practice soft and, and play hard. And, and I agree to that to a certain degree. Like you have to practice the way you're going to play. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's that buy-in factor because this is a very young team by and large, but you still have veterans on this team that you have to get, um, you know, to buy into what you're doing. And I think that was probably the challenge that this team faced realizing, okay, well, who, who's going to fit that and who's going to be like to heck with that. I'm not doing that. That's probably why you saw them change. Like this wasn't a ready-made roster last year. It was a roster that, you know, was teetering on the edge of, okay, there need to be, it needs to be restarted at several positions. And, you know, for them establishing a brand new culture is very difficult. Like I've seen it happen, you know, in covering college football and covering the NFL. And when you have somebody come in, that's doing something that might be completely different than the last group. If you have older players who don't want to do it, they're not going to do it. And yeah, they might find their way out the door pretty quickly, but like, how does that rub off on, on younger players? So I, I think that they're going in the right direction, or at least the direction <laughs> that Matt Eberflus wants to go in. And it may take a long, longer time to get there, but at least there's been a consistency element with it where it's not like they go like all in oops. Like we, we went too hard, like have an OTA taken away. And then like they go the opposite direction where they, they don't feel like they're doing it like that. They're just trying to be smart within it, but it's certainly um, we'll see what happens when the pads go on. Like I'm anticipating it's going to be, you know, a pretty, I mean, I, I tweeted this the day that I was there for rookie camp. I said, this is like mm-hmm. the most intense rookie ca- rookie mini camp I've ever been to. And I've been to a oh, lot wow. of these. Like, You've been to Mike Zimmer rookie camps. Yeah. And like they, like when we were in the Walter Payton center, that's, it was a Friday of rookie camp. I was like, wow, they're like, really, it was aggressive, not like aggressive in like a, you know, like a, ta- obviously not a tackling sense, but they were like, they were, the energy was a lot higher than what you expected to be during a rookie mini camp. And so like, for me, that was kind of my first clue of, okay, this, the staff is probably going to coach these guys a little differently than, than anything I had witnessed before. Yeah. And, and one of the big ones, I guess, would be Robert Quinn because he obviously missed some time, but it seems like, and again, I'm not there. You are. What is his, what is it? It sounds like to me that his attitude has been great, that he's, he's all in and everything like that. I guess that would be one of the players I would be worried about if it was too intense, but it sounds like so far that he's, he's buying in. Yeah. I, we talked to him when he was the first day after it was after the first practice and and he asked him the questions like, why weren't you here during minicamp? He said, well, you know, I wanted to focus. He's a 12-year veteran. Like, obviously, he doesn't yeah. need that stuff, and he knows what it's going to be asked from there. And he was okay taking the fine for missing the three-day minicamp to work on himself individually, physically, and mentally. And I get it. Like, I mean, I know that we can all kind of, like, read between the lines here and be like, well, he probably thought he was going to get traded, and that didn't pan out. And so now he's here, so he doesn't get fined every day. Think of that what you want. But I can absolutely understand the logic behind like everybody that I came here like via trade and started playing with in 2020, everyone is gone. Like I need to get myself yeah. right before I just like, I can't, like I, I 
can't fault someone like that for not wanting to jump all into the rebuild right away because he's 32 years old. How many yeah. more years? Like, that's that's the prime for a pass rusher, as we saw last year with 18 and a half sacks. How many more years of that do you have of that consistent level of production? He probably had to take a hard look at himself and say, I got to figure out what I want to do. Um, so now we know he's here and he said, you know, I mean, we saw him yesterday, didn't really do much. And even today, like during he's in his own individual ramp up period because he is a little older. So like during one-on-ones today, he was off to the side with, with a tackling dummy and like, you know, just, just working individually on pass rush moves. So maybe, maybe it takes him a couple more days. Like I think conditioning wise, he feels good from what he told us, but it's, it's, it's definitely a welcomed sign. Now all of this stuff is going to go out the window if they end up trading him. Like right. not, not necessarily like good faith, but all of like believability in like what they were, you know, people are trying to sell because publicly speaking, the team has been adamant that they do not want to trade him. Um, if you got the right draft capital and I feel like everybody else around the league is probably calling the bears bluff and saying, we're not giving you a third round pick for, for Robert Quinn right now. Like we'll wait yeah. until we get closer to the trade deadline, see what you can get. Yeah. We'll see how that pans out. But I do think that him being here, like they, they need, like, I remember the day Khalil Mack was traded and I thought to myself, it's Robert Quinn next. Um, yeah. It's like, you got to have somebody who can rush the passer. You have to field a competent football team or at least <laughs> one that like can appear to be that, like just relying on, on, on unproven talent to do that is a really tough spot. You don't want to put yourself in. And certainly they've made some additions in free agency. We know in a four, three, especially this defense, like how critical the three technique position is Yeah, they struck out on Larry Ogunjobi. Um, They get Justin Jones. That's going to be a focal point of this defense. You know, Al-Kanin Muhammad uh, had a great career, like, you know, early good young player um, in Indianapolis under Matt Eberflus. So like, they have some pieces, but I think having Robert Quinn, hopefully if it works out for them the way that they expected to, that, that will kind of bring everything together that you have the proven talent of somebody who might not top 18 and a half sacks again. Like that's, I always like caution people with that stat specifically, like to expect that the production is going to be there year after year after year is not realistic. Um, Cause teams will obviously add more attention to players that are really good at getting in the backfield, but it's a good sign for Matt Eberflus um, that he's here. It'll, we'll just see how long he, he stays here. Yeah, it's one of those things that, uh, like you, I thought I, I was curious of the the time frame for, for Robert Quinn. I think in one aspect, you know, if he comes in and plays well, that he could end up getting a Von Miller type of mm-hmm. trade at some point. This, and I think the Bears are probably better off doing that. I think that, you know, the Chargers overpaid for Khalil Mack, taking all the salary giving them a second round draft pick. You're like, okay, we'll, we'll make that deal right now. I think it just, you know, behooves everybody uh, involved just to be like, all right, let's play this out and see how it goes. And if the bears are somehow good and he's a key to that and they make a run to the playoffs and maybe he likes it, maybe he wants to stick around. So I mm-hmm. think there's, there's no downside to it, but Courtney, I was going to let you go, but I did not. I, I do. Listen, I go through your Twitter follow mm-hmm. just to see, just, just to see, just to see if, if, if I can get any insight. Do you like a certain band? Do you do this? I notice you follow a lot of fantasy people. Are you a fantasy player? Yes and no. Like it's okay. it's just it's such a huge part of what we do at ESPN. It's a billion yeah. dollar industry. And you know, so much of what I write is in a lot of different ways geared towards fantasy. So like I'm not the best fantasy player. I will be the first That's- one to admit that, but I enjoy 
I enjoy that element because it is it's covered in a different way, but it's all it's like it's the same thing, but it's not. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I every, everything has fantasy relevance. So I find it like fascinating seeing a lot of fantasy writers like how how they cover things that like I'm covering, but you know, from a different lens. Yeah. And you worked with some of the best, Matthew Barry, Field Yates, Mike Clay, even though Mike Clay said that Justin's going to throw the most interceptions this year, whatever. I, that's my issue with Mike. <laughs> I will say this uh, because you meant, I only bring this up because you mentioned it. Alan Robinson is going to be so good. Like this was going to be my, my closers. Like make sure you're dressed. Cause somebody came out and said, I'd rather have Julio over Alan Robinson. And I'm like, please, please do not make that move. Yeah. Like if you, if you don't, if you don't like my bear steaks or whatever, that's fine. But Allen Robinson is going to dominate this year. I think that you even mentioned it. Like it sounds like he's going to crush it in Los Angeles. Yeah, no, it's, they're excited about him too, which is, I think for him, you know, the deal that he got in free agency was what he wanted from the bears and yeah. the sides just couldn't agree after that he got franchise tagged. So, you know, it's good for a player like that who you know is when he's healthy, when he's out there, like he he can be a really good wide receiver. And that's a team that, you know, they haven't re-signed Odell Beckham Jr. I don't know yeah. if they will. Um, you know, Cooper Cup's coming off of, you know, his triple crown year and, you know, just got a massive extension. If they're they kind of like reloaded in a different way and and getting Allen Robinson, giving him that chance to be in a place where he's appreciated and can actually like be a, a big part of what they do offensively, I think is kind of like a win-win for franchise and for the player. There you go. See, if you don't want to take my word for it, take Courtney's word. Uh, you want Allen Robinson this year, but we want to thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for the insight. Of course, uh, We appreciate it. And uh, I will be out there at bears camp in a couple of days. So hopefully we'll, we'll say hello to each other. And uh, again, appreciate it. where can everybody follow you on Twitter? I am on Twitter and on Instagram at Courtney R. Cronin. There you go. See it on screen. Awesome. Well, you do a great job. We're, uh, we're excited to have you as, as a part of the Bears media now. You can Thank get you. away from Minnesota. I don't have to worry <laughs> about them anymore. But uh, we love having you. Thanks again. And uh, we'll see you soon. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right. There she goes. The great Courtney Cronin. Make sure that you're following her on Twitter. And listen, the Bears media has been killing it. They are so good. We are so blessed. Uh, by the by, the multitude of people who are covering this team, all of them have been doing a great job so far in training camp. So I implore you to go out and and seek them out and make sure that you're following along. Don't overreact to stuff. That's my number one thing. Don't overreact to stuff. And when people and this goes back to like Julio signing, this was it. I was going to leave a little bit more time, but we we had such a great conversation with Courtney. I didn't get an opportunity. I was going to go deeper into the thing of like why. You shouldn't tr you shouldn't draft Julio Jones in fantasy. Just trust me. He's going to be the Brashard Berryman of that Buccaneers team, which is fine. He's going to have his plays, and he's going to go out there. He's going to score six touchdowns. He'll have like 30 receptions. It'll be fun. We'll see Julio and all that stuff. But you know what? Don't. Just, just go draft Allen Robinson. He's still our friend. But in any event, want to thank everybody for being here. Thanks to AM 1530 WCKG in Chicago for being the home of the sick podcast in the second city and until tuesday we'll be uh we'll be back for take it to the rank and until that time sammy why don't you go ahead and play us out and that's a wrap hope you don't miss us too much until next time follow the sick podcast with adam rank on youtube instagram facebook google play and apple podcasts